Support for this show comes from Sylvan Learning. When children love learning, they can tackle any challenge life throws at them. Sylvan's insight assessment can help you determine if your child is ready for what's ahead. It can also identify gaps in learning and point out areas that could be of concern for your child so they can tackle what's to come. And right now, it's the best price of the year at $29. Go to sylvan29.com to learn more and get your child's assessment for only $29. That's S-Y-L-V-A-N-29.com. Just a few days away, the Cincinnati Bengals are going to be playing in the Super Bowl. Have you heard? Have you heard the news? The Bengals are in the Super Bowl, and they are facing the Los Angeles Rams on the Rams' home turf. Not going to matter because, I don't know. I'm just saying that right now. It's just not going to matter. But anyway, it's good to be with you all again. We've had a whirlwind week. And we've got more to come over the next couple of days in the form of interviews, in the form of shows, and all kinds of different stuff. I'm Anthony Cazenza, and I'm joined by John Sheeran. John, uh, let's let, should we take a little deep breath and say, Ooh. <laughs> hey, you, you were saying we had a crazy week. We were in the midst of a crazy week. We it's far from over from your perspective, from my perspective. We spent all day. Working, networking, trying to get stuff done, trying to get stuff planned. It's been a, what is it now, 10 days since the last time they played. And I, I, I thought to myself, yeah, it's nice to have that extra time, but it's like there's just not enough time. But at the same time, there's more time for people to spout up some BS. And uh, at the same time, I kind of just want this over with because it is the, it is about that time. <laughs> it is about that time. We've got, uh, here, here's what we've got coming up for you. One, um, we're... We still can't let the cat out of the bag out on this one because we got to finalize, finalize, finalize the thing. But it, it looks like a pretty pretty sure thing. And we are excited about a particular interview that will be coming in the next day or two here. So we will for sure let you know about that when that is finalized, finalized, finalized. But we've also – we are set to potentially be joined by David Fulcher tonight, which is awesome. Um, he's he's got He's had a busy week himself, so we're looking forward to talking with him about his Super Bowl memories and this year's team. So we've got that on tap. We've got former Bengals running back from the 1981 Super Bowl team, Charles Alexander, set to join us tomorrow. We've got some stuff we're doing Friday. I might be on site at some things with uh, some, some former Bengals players on Saturday afternoon. So I will let you know about that too. That's, that's kind of cool. And we've also been in on some of the press conferences at the Super Bowl, talking to Bengals players, Bengals coaches, and John and I have been doing not only our interviews here, John's been busy with the boys at DNH sports. We've lined up a number of interviews. The one tomorrow, John, that you have set up for us is a radio station in Columbus. Can you give us a, a couple details on that one? Yeah, it's the first time I'm going to be on the radio in Ohio, which is pretty cool. And, uh, <laughs> They specifically they reached out to both of us and they wanted both of us to come on, which is which is kind of cool. I don't feel like we've done like a radio segment with the both of us. We've had individual mm-hmm. ones in the past, but it's like taking 
our podcast onto a radio show to preview the Super Bowl for like a two segment type thing, one involving specifically Joe Burrow, the other one involving just the Bengals in general. So if you're in the Columbus area, catch that uh, Thursday morning at about 11 a.m. Awesome stuff. Thank you for setting that up. So we have a lot teed up for you and we're going to keep bringing you all kinds of content, including tonight. And uh, we're, we're excited about it. We're excited about Sunday. It can't get here soon enough. If um, you are new here, and I, I, maybe maybe there are some new folks here because... We hey, probably do. Found, yeah, I mean, I, I kind of figure that there's maybe some new folks here due to the Bengals just making the postseason and all of that. And maybe there's a little bit of extra excitement here. But we are on YouTube this show. The Orange and Black Insider is on YouTube. You can subscribe, hit the bell to be notified when we go live, when new content is available. And our show, along with Orange is the New Black, Coach Speak, Chalk Talk is on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio, all of the major platforms, Google Podcasts. I don't know if I mentioned that one. We're on all of them. So go download all of those shows, including ours. We appreciate the immense amount of support. I know Ace and Zim are working hard. So is the coach, Matt Minnick, for the Cincy Jungle Podcast channel. And we're going to try and pin some comments here. If you are so inclined, we are accepting super chats and whatnot. So uh, feel free if you feel generous. We'll, we'll, I guess, have our hand out for that. And we appreciate all the support. And it's, it's been a fun couple of weeks. It's been a lot of work, John, but it's been a fun couple of weeks. Yeah, in regards to the super chat, because people are asking if I'm going out to Cali. I'm not. I don't have ten thousand on me. But if you guys are generous with the super chats, maybe we can re, maybe we can arrange something to get me out there. So yeah, no there you go. There you go. Yeah, uh, depending on how generous you are, there you go. There's the offer right there. So shameless self promotion aside, let's start kind of chronologically, sort of. Um, you, John, went to and and. If and when we are joined by David Fulcher, he's got some family engagements he's partaking in. So hopefully we'll be joined by him at the end of the show here. But um, you went to the Bengals pep rally mm-hmm. on on Monday. And this was something that was maybe kind of thrown together. I don't want to say last minute, but it was kind of put together. And it seemed like a really, really cool event. And I, I don't know if you've got some some pictures or videos that you can share here. But just if you can, I was not there. I saw a video. I saw some hype stuff going on there, but I, I was not there. Can you just kind of talk about the atmosphere and the event that the Bengals put on for their Super Bowl appearing team? Yeah, it was pretty cool. Um, I know it was rebroadcasted on NFL Network, I believe, after the fact. And what it basically was is there's just a podium or like a, a stage at midfield. The entire lower bowl of Paul Brown Stadium was filled to the brim. So it was about 30,000 fans or whatnot. And they had Bengal Jim. Foster and Gary Owen they flew him out to Cincinnati to basically co-host the whole shebang and it was a lot of fun you had Kay Adams uh, uh, called in on like the jumbotron to answer some questions you had interviews with uh, Joe Burrow Zach Taylor with like Sean McVay and Matthew Stafford respectively on the opposite side at answering questions and at the very end maybe see here on YouTube they had the entire team being brought out, int- introduced to, to the crowd. The ad- like usually during games, it's just like the offense or the defense getting introductions. It, it was the entire starting lineup, including um, the special teamers. And this video was the reaction of one Joe Burrow getting introduced. So check this out.
I mean, that's just rock star status right there, right? Yeah. Yeah. I don't know why the camera's on LSD at the moment, but um, it, I promise you. Oh, there we go. It, it looked a lot better than that. Um, but yeah, it was it was a lot. And they had the, the players speak. They had um, Burrow. They had Mixon. I believe they had a couple others. They had CJ Uzama. I was fumbling. I was fumbling around with my phone because I was trying to post these things to the CJ Twitter. And I looked down and I was with my friend <laughs> and he immediately like hits me like, dude, yeah, Uzama just ripped off his knee brace and threw it up in the air. I'm like, what? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So he did his best, I guess, WWE impersonation to really hype up the crowd. And I mean, I don't know how you can pull that stunt and then not play in the Super Bowl. So we can talk about that later. But it was it was awesome. You had uh, players hyping up the fans and it was everything that, you know, a pep rally should be in this photo right here, <laughs> as you see on YouTube. I don't have a lot of great photos of me personally. Um, but this one really encapsulates my angles very well to show the back of my head with the fireworks in the background. They had like a five, Pretty epic. five, six minute firework show at the very end over lane. Welcome to the jungle. A lot of fireworks for a Mike Brown budget. So he really spared no expense there over the Ohio River. But it was a lot of fun. It was about an hour long and a great send off for the team to eventually go to L.A. And I guess it was a little bit more. Um, it was a little bit more eventful than what the Rams had at a random high school in Los Angeles. Yeah. So I, that, that was something that kind of started coming up here this, this week. And I don't, I don't know particularly how to, how to take that one because I don't know if they planned something very last minute and that's just what they wanted to do. I know California and LA in particular have been very um, strict with their, uh, regulations and whatnot with with covid stuff masking outdoors you know limiting sized crowds all that kind of stuff so maybe that played into part of it um but i I can tell you john and i think you and i maybe joked about this the other day i can tell you that had the tables been flipped the flashy la rams were in their new stadium and they had this big pep rally and they had some celebrities and they had super fans out there that were and fireworks and all that kind of stuff and their players and their coaches and basically a a mini game intro for everybody and the Bengals were at a local high school in the cold with only a few thousand people capacity imagine the talking points that would come out of that as opposed to what we witnessed just a couple days ago <laughs> at the end of the day it's like run your money you know it, it like it, the Bengals have to do these things because they're still going to get a hit with your owner is cheap. You don't have an indoor facility. You're a poverty franchise. The Rams can get away with this because whatever, they have that benefit of the doubt. And it does kind of stink that the Rams um, couldn't use their stadium because it was being prepped for the Super Bowl. But I'm not an expert in Los Angeles. Anthony is. I happen to know that there are some iconic football stadiums in Los Angeles that are not SoFi Stadium. Maybe the Coliseum. Maybe, I don't know, the Rose Bowl. These seems like appropriate venues to hold such a pep rally but maybe if you're only expecting a couple thousand fans show up maybe you don't want that to look depressing in a hundred thousand or eighty thousand seat venue so you know maybe it was strategic because they were only expecting a couple thousand or maybe a couple hundred fans that was going to fill up a high school stadium more than maybe like an iconic stadium in american history yeah uh, if you want to defend the Rams, you could also maybe say that I, I did see Eric Dickerson there and, and some other folks and the, the Rams have been to the Super Bowl more recently than the Bengals. Um, you know, maybe LA just has br- brings other 
people to do different things in LA. I, I don't know. I mean, there's a lot of different things that you could point to, but the fact of the matter is Bengals fans showed up in droves, including yourself, John, and the Bengals seem to have put on a, a very, very cool and a high quality event for their fans in, in something that they recognize that is very, very special in terms of the season and, and really continuing that fan engagement thing that they've really made a, a heavy initiative over the last year or two. Absolutely. And I don't know all the specifics and the intricacies of the whole situation of broadcasting the Super Bowl in the stadium and having a watch party there, but they weren't able to let that happen. So this seems like a nice consolation. And, you know, after 30, what is it, 34 years, 33 years since the last Super Bowl appearance, the last Super Bowl send off, I believe it then it was down to Miami. The city was kind of prepared for this. They, they weren't going to be stopped with the fact that it was right at rush hour. They were going to pack that stadium and, and give the players and coaches a send-off that they truly deserved. And honestly, I forgot to mention this, Duke Tobin also spoke at the pep rally, and he he uh, fired off some one-liners there. I'd never seen him uh, engage any public audience of that magnitude, and you know he kind of he's kind of vibing with the crowd a little bit. So shout-out Duke. I didn't know he had that personality to him. Uh, I, I did not either. Did Now, were the Browns and Blackburns, did they... Did they get up there and chat a little bit or talk to address the crowd at all. I did not see Mike anywhere near uh, there. I would have thought that Elizabeth Blackburn could have made an appearance, um, mm-hmm. but I don't, I don't think that was there either. The audio was kind of weird too. Like Gary Owen, he's a very um, boisterous talker and he kind of sounded like the, the character from the wild thornberries, like the baby Donnie He kind of <laughs> talks like really rapidly and high pitch. And I could understand what he was saying most of the time, uh, but um, a lot of energy, though. He brought the energy. Well, cool stuff. I mean, that's just if there's little snafus here and there or whatever. I mean, I think everybody's going to take it because it was just a very, very cool thing that the, the team put on. And quite frankly, it's not something I, I don't live out there, but it's not something that I expected them to do. So, um, you know, I, I it was a cool thing to see them out there and, and making this cool event for the fans and just kind of feeding that frenzy that's been going on with the Super Bowl appearance here. Well, the other the other things I wanted to share, uh, we've got some clips. We've been sharing them a little bit on social media and whatnot, so maybe you've seen some of these. I've got, I think, about seven clips, some questions we've asked a number of different Bengals players and coaches. Um, uh, so I've got seven. Uh, I don't I don't know that we want to play all seven. Um, so here's here's I'll let you choose, John. I've got one from Lou Anarumo. I've got one from Marion Hobby. I've got one from Andrew Whitworth. Got one from Zach Taylor. Got one from Joe Burrow. Got one from Mike Hilton. And a really <laughs> a really funny one from Eli Apple. Um, and funny because it's not I have never seen someone so disinterested in a general media session than, than Eli Apple, which was pretty funny. Um, I think he he was talking before he sat down that he had some lunch that was ready for him. So I think he was a little hangry. He wanted to eat. But um, those are those are who I have. I don't know if, you, if you've got some preference on a couple of those. Uh, we'll be sharing all of them on social media. But for the sake of time, maybe we just limit it to a couple. Uh, so who, who do you want to hear, John? Who would you like to hear from? Well, you can't hype up the Eli Apple soundbite and not play that. So we got to play that. I, I know I did hear the the Zach Taylor question, and he commented on how good of a question it was. So we should give you props for that. And, and uh, maybe let's get let's get the Whitworth one too because we haven't heard it okay. in a while. Okay. So here's the deal. Um, with these, I, I kind of 
switched it up in terms of, you know, maybe I, some, some of the questions I asked were very, in, a little more intricate and a little more Bengals fans would know specifically what I'm asking. And some of the questions were a little more broad scoped or maybe have been asked on a local level before, but not necessarily among other, other writers. And here's the deal, John, if you've ever sat in one of these, I haven't sat in on a lot because I'm not, I'm a novice, my friend, but when you sit in on these things, you know, you do the zoom and you raise your hand, you take your turn and they cycle through, you know, people. So sometimes you got to wait. And the the thing that you got to do is number one, you have to be able to multitask because a lot of these digital set, these virtual sessions are going on at the same time. So you ask your question, you hang out for a little bit, and then you maybe go to another person because they overlap. And if you want to get a, a number of these, you want to, you want to be able to do that. The other thing too, is as you sit and wait, you better have two or three questions at the top of your head prepared because people sometimes snake your questions uh, while, while you're waiting. And so you got to be able to have a couple that you, that you want to ask here. So, all right, we'll start with, uh, we'll start with the Whitworth one. I thought that was, that was a pretty good one. You, you said you liked that one. Oh no, you want to start with Eli. Let's start with Eli Apple. This is just, this shows you just the interest level here that he had. Next question to Anthony. Hey, Eli, uh, I'm just curious about your approach this week with the big test uh, against the Rams. Great wide receiver group. Is it uh, maybe a little bit more more physical? Obviously, a lot of game game film, whatnot, or maybe a little head games with some trash talk. Or is it kind of just business as usual with with this group? Yeah, we're going to play our game. We're going to go out there and do what we do. What got us here. And yeah, just do whatever we can to win by any means. Yeah, impose our will. Now I will say this: impose our will was something that he he said often there, and really I was trying to get a smile out of the guy talking about you know talk some trash on the field. You know what do you, what's your approach going to be on the field? You can talk some trash to him because he's been doing that on Twitter, and he just was John. He just was not uh, overly enthralled with the entire uh, press conference missing out on lunch thing. I don't think you got quite literally a fistful of cliches. I counted five cliches. <laughs> Back to back to back to back to back. It was impressive. He all strung them together so naturally, like he's just been practicing for this moment his entire life. Yes, yes. So I want to play this one. I I, I guess we'll keep it to about uh, maybe half of them, like four of them. I want to play this because check out the difference from this guy, a guy who also shares the defensive back room with him, Mike Hilton. We're going to do Anthony Cosenza and then Chris Ryan. Anthony? Hey, Mike, uh, congrats on a great season. I What I wanted to ask you is, number one, how much did those big wins over your former team, the Steelers, mean to you this year? And when you came to Cincinnati, did you make it a big priority to say, let's kind of flip the power within the AFC North and rekindle this rivalry between the Bengals and my old team? Uh, I'll be honest, definitely, those, those two wins were definitely big for me. Um, the guys knew, you can ask them, they, they could tell both weeks that we played those guys like, my my mindset was different, you know. Uh, I, I was just locked in and like really, really pushing guys a lot more. Just, just, just to show, like, all right, guys, like, if we wanna, if we wanna take this division over, it's gonna start with Pittsburgh. You know, they they've been known to to run this division, and you know, um, them bringing me over. Like I said, I had the insight on what Pittsburgh thought of Cincinnati and telling those guys and just getting them riled up and knowing. Like, yeah, we're, we're this close, but we have to finish it. So we we, we kind of knew coming into those games um, to to run the AFC North, we got to defeat those guys. And we did that handily. So, I, I, like I said, I'm excited to see 
see see how um, how it goes for the next couple of years and see where we're at. We're gonna do Anthony Cosette. Sorry, didn't mean to requeue that up. Um, quickly becoming one of my favorite guys on this team, though, John. I mean, just kind of gets it, and the fact that he utilized his past with the Steelers and being like, you know what, I, you guys aren't going to offer me the contract. This team is. I'm going to do what I can to be the best teammate possible with Cincinnati, and I'm going to stick it to you. It's basically what he did, and <laughs> yeah. it's kind of it's kind of surprising a little bit because in the preseason, there was a lot of talk about the Ravens and the Browns kind of taking the division or, or playing for first place, and it was Mike Hilton's former team that ended up going to the playoffs along with the Bengals and the Ravens and the Browns stayed home so those two wins over pittsburgh meant a lot and obviously that was two wins over a playoff team so shout out mike yeah it's cool and and he he's just a, a ball of energy which is cool um not not that eli was it was not i mean we see what he does on the field and everything and we see how he uh is on twitter and we love it it's just uh you know a little bit of a different energy level in these in these pressers now okay so who did you want to see uh, of the remaining john I think we got to give Whitworth a chance. Did, did you ask Joe Burrow a question too? I did. Now yeah, we can so, get that too. Okay. So the Burrow one is one I think that we've we've heard a little bit about before. Um, but again, it's kind of one of those things that, uh, you know, some questions get taken and, and other stuff. But uh, he he was less terse with me than some other folks. So I'll take that. Let's go. I'll, we'll go with Whitworth though. Anthony Consenza, Box Media. Hey, Andrew, good to talk to you. I've been following your career for a long time. Uh, I just had a, a question for you. Zach Taylor overlapped some time with you in L.A. as an offensive assistant coach. I was curious if you kind of saw something early on in him that would make him a successful NFL head coach. And are you surprised at how quickly both he and your fellow LSU Tiger, Joe Burrow, have the Bengals in the Super Bowl and turn things around? Well, with Zach, I mean, uh, you know, it's one of those things that uh, when you're around him, you realized he had a special demeanor about him, a special calm. I always used to say that he kind of seemed like one of those like accomplished backup quarterbacks, you know, in the NFL. I just kind of always had a vibe to him like I understand the game and, I, and I'm a little bit of that killer instinct of, of just knowing when and, when and where to push certain buttons and have certain intensities and hold people accountable and all of that. He, you know, he's just one of those guys that you immediately knew, man, this guy's going to be an amazing football coach. You know, at the time, you know, he wasn't really in a position where you started to say, all right, well, what would he be as a head coach? But you knew at some point uh, as he moved up the ladder, that was going to be a possibility. And how fast it all came together was awesome. And, and I can remember sitting with him uh, when he was taking the job in Cincinnati and us discussing the job and how excited he was about it and, you know, what he was kind of walking into and, I couldn't be more happy for him and proud of him. I mean, my wife's close with his wife, and they talk all the time. And uh, we're really excited for them and, and, and happy for them where they are. And with Joe, uh, you know, the, the few times that I've gotten to be around him, uh, nothing shocks me with him. Uh, his mentality and mindset for the game of football is, is so special and so rare that um, he's going to be a really, really good one for a long time. And I think people in Cincinnati are going to have a chance to uh, – maybe experience this again a couple more times as long as Joe Burrow is the quarterback. Thanks, Andrew. Love that guy. I mean, there's just really not much else. I just uh, – such a soft spot for that guy, John. You, I believe, met him in 2013, right? Um, yes, I did, in San Diego. 
Yeah. The, the then San Diego Chargers. Right. Like it, it's imagine yourself back then, like Andrew Woodworth, he's a, at the time, what a seven, eight year pro for the Bengals. Eight years from then, he's going to be starting in not his first Super Bowl, but his second Super Bowl at 40 years old. And he's still the same guy basically playing at the same level. I, I believe that the Bengals reached out to him when they were going through the hiring process and wanted something about Zach Taylor. They wanted like like any type of anecdotes that Whitworth could give him. And Whitworth was kind of was kind of shocked. Like, oh, you guys are interviewing Zach. But you know, I believe the praise that he gave him was genuine. And obviously it's been validated with how successful the Taylor's been at such a young age. But Whitworth has seen more than the most left tackles in NFL history. And it, it's, it's crazy that he's playing the Super Bowl against his former team now. Yeah, a guy that's going to have an interesting case to be made for for Canton. Um, one of those guys that didn't get the full due that he was he he earned as a player, but later in his career and and later even later with the Bengals, you know, just started to get that due, kind of like Willie Anderson, and uh, just just a great guy. And I got to just add a side note, you know, he was asked about ta- his time in Cincinnati. He was asked about and just gracious says he loves the fans. Loves the city. He's so happy. And I, you can tell when he talks about this specific game going up against the Bengals, it's not like he's eager to take it to the Bengals. It's just like this is a really special game and a really special moment for me. So, uh, you know, I I would be surprised, despite whether the Rams win or lose, I would be surprised if he comes back and plays, not because he can't, not because he's injured, but just really the the storyline to this game. Uh, for him, I, I you know I, I don't I, I just don't know how else you could write it. Uh, let's get one from Joe. This is kind of a, a little bit I don't I don't want to say generic question, but it's a question we've he's been asked before. It is um, about the I had to, I had to tap the SoCal roots, John, and I asked him just the impact of working with Jordan Palmer over the the course of the past couple of off seasons, both in the draft and then honing um, honing his skills with Jordan in uh, this last offseason, who he's been working with, et cetera. So here is Joe Burrow at the press conference. This was a little bit earlier today. Anthony, Vox Media. Hey, Joe, congrats on a, a great season. I wanted to ask you, I'm a SoCal guy myself, and I know you participated in Jordan Palmer's uh, workouts and QB Summit early in the pre-draft process. What was the impact of that, not only from – mechanic standpoint and all of that, but also um, just him giving you insight on the Bengals organization, et cetera. Yeah. He helped me a lot this off season. You know, we really took a look at my throwing motion and my mechanics because I was able to start from the ground up with my injury. And so we really took a, a deep dive into that and he helped me a lot. And, you know, another big part when I was, you know, going into my last year at, at LSU and then going into the NFL in my first year as I was able to work out with, Sam Donald and Josh Allen, guys who were doing it at the highest level. And, you know, that helped me understand that, you know, I was capable of doing it as well. So kind of cool, uh, you know, talking about what, what it kind of corroborated some, some earlier stories about it. I, I don't think he wanted to get so much into what Jordan Palmer maybe told him about the Bengals and plus time was a little of the essence at that, at that point in the interview. But um, I, I, you know, again, kind of corroborating what, kind of impact Palmer and those workouts had on him and, and improving his deep ball and everything that we've seen this year, John. 
It's crazy because one Palmer brother basically says, yeah, I don't know if Joe is going to succeed with the Bengals and the other Palmer brother did everything in his power to make sure that he is succeeding with the Bengals. He also said that Sam Darnold's doing it at the highest level. So never heard Burrow lie before, but that was interesting. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. Well, well, we'll be nice. But anyway, uh, and and Palmer just keeps growing that that QB summit, and it keeps getting a lot of national attention and grabbing all kinds of different players from from a you know the draft, and then obviously young quarterbacks looking to to fine tune their craft. And you know, I mean, Burrow is a guy that he's gonna he's gonna do what he needs to do to regardless of who it's with to to continue to improve. But I, I think this specific workout, those specific workouts, and Palmer working with him has really really helped him out, particularly in that year one to year two growth. 100%. And the base was always there for Burrow. And it's not like he came into the NFL with like a, an extremely weak arm. You got to remember, like throwing power arm strength, it's it's very natural to some people, but it can also be developed and enhanced. Like Aaron Rodgers didn't have this cannon coming out of Cal. He spent three, four years on the bench with the Packers. Now he's got the like one of the livest arms in NFL history. So for Burrow to make that jump in just his second year, it didn't take very long for him to improve his arm. And it's obviously not at the level of some of the, some of these other quarterbacks, but like we've saw just two weeks ago, like he faced off against Mahomes, who's got the best arm in the NFL and Burrow ended up coming out on top and having the cleaner game. So him just enhancing that part of his game and having it being it attributed to a former Bengal quarterback in, in Palmer and just the way that Palmer's kind of grown his brand and, uh, increased his resident quarterbacks that he's worked with. It's been a great story, and it's cool that he's now, I guess, worked with him for three off-seasons, three off-seasons because it was before the draft and after yeah. the draft and, um, I guess, during the rehab process, too. Yeah. Well, those are, those are a few of what we've got. There's a couple more that uh, I think there's another media session or two coming up that I'll be able to attend. So hoping to get some more uh, players, coaches, et cetera, and some sound bites to share with you all. This isn't a... Uh, look at us thing it's more of a hey let's share some cool sound bites with our with our listeners and since jungle readers so hopefully you enjoyed some of those and it's cool john because in those pressers you know you're waiting for your turn or you, you know you're still you've had your turn you you hang out for a little while longer and you hear charlie goldsmith mike petralia jay morrison you know and you're like hey those guys i know those guys great guys and then you see here seeing here people from the nfl network and stuff so um, pretty cool, pretty cool experience. And, uh, just wanted to share that with our listeners. Hopefully they enjoyed that. Support for this show comes from Sylvan Learning. As a parent, you want your child to have every opportunity, but giving them the tools they need to tackle every challenge that takes a team. Now more than ever, educational support tailored exactly to what your child needs can make all the difference. That's why parents have trusted Sylvan Learning for 45 years as the ultimate teammate in their child's educational journey, instilling in them a love for learning and a passion for reaching the next level. And Sylvan's Insight Assessment can identify gaps in learning and areas that could be of concern for your child. It's a 360-degree view into your child's learning that you can't find anywhere else and helps ensure that your child didn't miss something in school that might put them at a disadvantage in the future. And right now, it's the best price of the year at $29. Go to sylvan29.com to learn more and get your child's assessment for only $29. That's S-Y-L 
V-A-N-29.com. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. We're going to be, we're, we're hoping to be joined by David Fulcher towards the end of the show here. He's had a crazy week. He was at the pep rally and like I said, he's got a family engagement. So we're hoping to have him. We, we talked a little earlier today and sounded like tonight was going to work, but we'll see what happens here at the end. But before we get to him, John, there's a game to talk about. And there is a lot to talk about with the Bengals in this Super Bowl preview. I guess, like we like we use, why break tradition? Do we want to start with where we're at on the injury front? I think you wrote the injury report, did you not? Uh, did not, on... no, that was Jason. Okay, that was Jason. Okay, so and here, here is Mr get out of here knee brace cj uzama um so this is as of earlier this afternoon uh so cj uzama and tyler higby did not practice despite the chucking of the knee brace andrew whitworth is a full participant participant in practice um and then you see here the report from kelsey conway zach taylor says he's optimistic about cj uzama's status not going to practice today though so run us through this, John, and what you think about Uzama, if he's going to play, and if so, what that may look like. Yeah, all indications have Uzama eventually practicing sometime this week. I believe that Jay Morrison, like you mentioned, he expects him to practice tomorrow, albeit in like a limited fashion. And that may be all we see from Uzama because he hasn't practiced or hasn't played since Kansas City. He didn't practice all last week in the, in the UC bubble so he's now like a week removed from those practice sessions. He is walking fine um, on that knee. It like obviously like there's no giant concern if he's now like operating without a knee brace on, or if the team allowed him to go up there and take his knee brace off, and if they especially expect him to practice and eventually play at some point this week. So he did not practice today, but expect him to practice in limited fashion on Thursday and potentially Friday. Then you got the only other player who's limited, Jackson Carmen. This is interesting because he was limited last yeah. week with a back injury. It's probably the same back injury that uh, was bothering him during the season. Then he didn't practice towards the end of the week. Now he's back to limited. Got to think though, Anthony. If like there, if there is even a discussion about who's going to start at right guard, I don't think that Jackson Carmen missing practice is going to necessarily help in that regard. It is not. And this is one of those concerning. Now, I I don't know the nature of this injury, um, but we know that Jackson Carmen underwent back surgery before the draft, right? So, the other thing we know about back back 
injuries, whether you're young like Jackson Carmen, whether you're older or somewhere in between, they can linger and they can bug and they can flare up at a moment's notice when you think they go away. So a little bit concerning. And, you know, there were some moments against the Chiefs wherein he he played pretty decent. Um, there's some also not so um, not so great moments, um, which has kind of been the story with him, the story with the Denigy, um, a little bit of the story with Prince, but not as much as the right guard spot. So I don't know, man. I mean, it sounds like you're thinking that Adenogy at this point would would start because of this kind of status here. Do you have a preference on who starts? And are are, are you are you even a fan of this? Hey, you know, Adenogy's struggling here. Let's pull. Let's let's not let him ride through it. Let's get Carmen in there. I, I guess on a one game season that makes sense. But I mean, are you are, are you a fan of that? Not. Uh, particularly like in terms if there's like no context at all but like this is the Super Bowl and if Adenogy is getting his behind destroyed by Aaron Donald which is a possibility and Carmen is able to play then you'd be hard pressed to not make that switch there in the game I do think that Adenogy is going to start um, because we don't know how available Carmen's going to be and if that's the case if Adenogy is getting destroyed in this game that leaves what Trey Hill as the backup right guard if Carmen can't go. That like I don't know if they would elevate Xavier Suafilo off of the practice squad. He's out there. Like that's a possibility if they feel like they need depth, but they have a decision to make. And if Carmen's not 100, percent like I, I don't think that Adenogy's in, insanely bad enough to play less than 100 percent Jackson Carmen because Jackson Carmen even at 100 percent is barely better, if not the same player in terms of effectiveness as the key energy. I know that they're two different players and their strengths and weaknesses, but in terms of overall effectiveness, it's basically marginal at that point going up against Aaron Donald. It is. I had, I was in on a press conference with uh, Frank Pollock and I, I was in line to ask him a question. Unfortunately we ran out of time and I was going to ask him about these guys, Adenogy and uh, Carmen and just kind of long and De- Deontay Smith and you know long term plans for those guys is excitement level for them didn't get the opportunity to, to do so but this is this again I mean you you said the two key words in this game and in this matchup and who everybody is talking about Aaron Donald so you know I mean this this is a situation where the Bengals need to be very very sure. I guess very cautious, very sure about what they're doing at this spot for a variety of reasons. And if it is going to be Carmen, they better they better be sure that this back issue is just something minor, minor and they are being very precautionary with it. Pretty much. Good news is uh, three other players listed here on the injury report, Stanley Morgan, Camp Sample, and Josh Tupo, they all practiced full. Uh, none of those three players practiced or played against the Chiefs. Uh, Tupo's been out for a little bit. Uh, mm-hmm. Sam Morgan's been out for the entire postseason. And uh, yeah, Camp Sample didn't play against Kansas City. So good news is it should be a pretty fully healthy team aside from maybe a less than 100% Uzama. And uh, I bl- like in regards to him, even if he does play, I, I don't think he's going to be anything more than like a limited participant yeah. in the actual game. But honestly, I think just having him in uniform and being out there on the field, like I don't like to get into this stuff, but it's gotta be a morale boost, right? Because he's CJ yeah. and he's literally, he, he is, he is this Bengals team, you know? And it, I think just him being out there on the field is going to do wonders for them. 
And I think that, yeah, that plays into, you know, maybe he is on a, a snap count, a pitch count, whatever you want to call it. And I think that plays into just him dressing and being out there. You know, I think that is a, a boost. I would agree with you on that. Um, the Rams, Tyler Higby, valuable tight end, knee injury. He did not practice. Um, and note, boom, their tackle uh, did not did not practice as of Wednesday. Uh, Cam Akers has a shoulder issue coming back from, what was it, the Achilles? Um, earlier this year or knee injury. I can't remember which one it was, but uh, he came back for the postseason, struggled, struggled, struggled against the, the Buccaneers, two fumbles in that game. Um, but he was limited on Wednesday, as was Van Jefferson, a, a good player in that very talented wide receiver group. Um, and then you've got full participants, including Whitworth there. So uh, they, they too are relatively healthy, especially for this time of year. And that extra week helps. Yeah, and that's usually what happens in the Super Bowl. Like last year was an anomaly with the Chiefs because they had basically no offensive linemen left and they somehow managed to make it that far. And then we saw what happens when you have a terrible offensive line against a fully healthy Buccaneers off, uh, defensive line. So the Rams are as about as healthy as the Bengals are. Somehow they managed to get K-Makers back like five months off of a torn Achilles. I don't know what black magic they used with that. The Rams also didn't practice today, technically. I think it was like a walkthrough. So this is like their projected practice report, if you will. But yeah, Higby seems to be the, the main story here because he suffered basically the same injury as Uzama on the same day. And for whatever reason, Higby seems to be a little bit behind Uzama. But nah, I know that both of them didn't technically practice today. But there seems to be more doubt that Higby is um isn't going to play and that could that could change things obviously the Bengals have a history against tight ends but also it's just one less um starter to worry about when you're trying to focus on stopping it or at least containing both cooper cup and odell beckham jr well i guess that's where we should maybe transition to because there is a lot of talk about how the Bengals at least from a national perspective, those outside of the Bengals bubble, they do not have a snowball's chance in hell from their secondary standpoint, going up against OBJ, Cooper Cup, Van Jefferson, and that group. And of course, the offense of the Bengals offensive line going up against Aaron Donald, Von Miller, Leonard Floyd. So I guess since you just talked about the wide receiver group, we can start there. Chidobi Awuzie, Eli Apple, Mike Hilton, Jesse Bates, Vaughn Bell, um, who do you give the, the advantage to here? And what what do you because Eli Apple wouldn't tip his hand to me. What do you <laughs> think the what, what do you think the strategy should be here in terms of what the Bengals do defensively on the back end of their defense? So I, I think that defending the Rams and the Chiefs are different animals, but I think they're similar in the sense where the the Chiefs, a lot of their formations, it's, it's really tight splits where you have Tyreek and Travis Kelsey and McCole Hartman kind of close to formation. Yeah, and yeah. the Rams don't really have like a, a boundary threat aside from Odell Beckham. And he's kind of emerged as that because he had to when they lost Robert Woods. If Robert Woods plays in this game, like the dynamic changes a lot because that's three legitimate receivers for the Rams going up. It's a solid Bengals secondary. But I think Lou Rumo has earned a ton of benefit of the doubt with how he managed to stop the Chiefs offense. And I think if you can game plan against that, you can game plan against the Rams because, again, they, they love those in-breaking routes just like the Chiefs do. A lot of their stuff is based off of play action. So that's naturally going to 
um, slow down the Bengals pass rush at, at least to a little bit, especially because they don't blitz very much. So you're going to have seven guys back in coverage and Mike Hilton's obviously going to be acquainted with Cooper Cup in the slot, but they're going to have some similar formations, I think, to the Chiefs. And I'll I'm interested to see what they do with their safeties in this game. If they go with a similar plan in terms of disguising some of these single high looks in, in the form of two um, two gels. What is Jesse Bates going to do in terms of staying on top of Cooper Cup? Because you don't expect Cooper Cup to be this magnificent deep threat, but somehow he manages to get past the entire secondary and Stafford has the yeah, arm yeah. to get the ball to him. But honestly, man, like I feel like we're not really talking about Odell enough because of just what he was in Cleveland and the fact that he's only played so many games with the Rams and he's had some decent games with the Rams. And honestly, in his career, he's done decently well against the Bengals. He was like, has only like handful of good games Brown's uniform against the Bengals and if he gets Eli Apple I think you don't hate that matchup if you're the Rams in those situations so I honestly wouldn't shock me if the if Odell has like a more productive day than Cooper Cup I'm not saying Odell's going to go off for 200 or anything like that but I think Odell's going to get his because of how much attention is naturally going to be with Cooper Cup and how condensed the Bengals are going to try to make the middle of the field to limit him one of the things that was brought up in the press conference today, and I was kind of reminded about it, is that Apple is familiar with OBJ because they were together in, in New York and that Apple says they're still pretty pretty good friends. So there is, while I, I think you can talk about a talent disparity there potentially between OBJ and Eli Apple, I think that there also is the familiarity aspect that works both advantageous for both both guys, but... Um, I do think that Eli Apple does have that a little bit in his back pocket in terms of being being familiar with with OBJ. Um, Wuzie has been a very solid player for this team this year. I would say there's been a couple moments in the postseason that were not as solid as we saw throughout much of the regular season. Um, I, I want to say that you know some of the stuff against AJ Brown in Tennessee. You know he was he was back there in some of that coverage. So he's going to need to bring his A game. And one of the guys that you know I've talked about him a couple of times. He has played very very well this postseason after not doing so great in the regular season, at least by his standards. Is Jesse Bates? He's yep. played out, out, outstanding football this this year, and he is or this postseason rather, and he is going to need to be a a factor for sure. And Von Bell's been been active and made some plays as well, but you know Jesse Bates is really between the regular season and the postseason. He's taken a huge step forward in in how he has played, and that's going to need to continue. Yeah, he's got an interception against the Titans, and he's got a basically a forced interception against the Chiefs. You know what's yeah. remarkable, Anthony? Seven turnovers this postseason. All seven ended up in the hands of seven different Bengals defenders. That's crazy. Both linebackers, you have um, Bell, Bates, Hilton, BJ Hill, of all people. So if the trend continues, the most likely guy to get an interception next would be Ahuzie. And that's just kind of how this postseason has gone. It's been a bit magical. It's been some things that you don't expect to happen are happening. But of course, you would expect the Bengals' best cornerback going up against the quarterback with the most interceptions and a top, a bottom 10 turnover worthy throw percentage, you would expect that guy to end up with the ball in his hands at some point. I honestly do think Anthony though, Anthony though, that this is like the matchup of the game. People who are comparing offensive line and offensive line, defense line, defense line. At the end of the day, it's about who actually faces each other on the field. And I think the Rams passing game versus the Bengals pass defense. I think that is like the most tightly contested and interesting matchup to watch. Sean McVay's 
photographic memory of an offense going up against Luna Rumo, the hottest defense coordinator in the NFL right now. I think that's so interesting to me. And I honestly think that that's how the Bengals eventually win this game. I don't know if Stafford is going to give them multiple chances at, at turnovers. I know that McVay is going to come out with a solid opening script because he's McVay and he's a genius in that regard. But the Rams are known to kind of take their foot off the gas. And Stafford is known for putting the ball in harm's way, specifically in the later, in the later portion of games. And just like we said it with Ryan Tannehill, just like we kind of said with Patrick Mahomes, there's going to be opportunities for this defense to get their hands on the ball. And if the past three weeks have shown us anything, it's that the Bengals are ready to take advantage of those opportunities. Well, I almost cued this up when you when you said the seven turnovers by seven different players, John. I, I kind of cued You teased us and said and and said you didn't have a stat of the week before the show, but now you kind of gave us a little bit of the stat of the week there, plus the turnover worthy throws by Matthew Stafford. Let's let's talk quarterbacks here. Um, I think a lot of people still, and and one of the things that I, I quite honestly I used to kind of adhere to this or believe in this this playoff experience, this battle tested, this been there before type of thing. And to me, really, the Bengals kind of blew the doors off of that notion this entire this entire playoff run, at least for me. Maybe not everybody subscribed to that. I just feel like that was a, a one of those intangibles that you say, yeah, you know, they, they, you've been there before. And the Bengals, at least this team, they didn't care. They don't care. And it's not the venue. It's not the opponent. They just went in there and made things happen and got themselves to the Super Bowl. But... Matthew Stafford has not been to the Super Bowl, but he obviously has far more experience. He is one of the best quarterbacks in terms of fourth quarter comebacks, overtime comebacks, or game-winning drives. That's all of those kind of combined throughout his illustrious career. Now, some of those have evaporated because he played for the Detroit Lions <laughs> and or he had to do that because he played for the Detroit Lions. He had to come from behind often. Um, so, look... I, one of the talking points I kind of wanted to, to bring up tonight was the quarterback play. And do you, do you adhere to, you know, Stafford in his what 13th season and more postseason births and, you know, they're here, they're in their home stadium. Is he going to just be more comfortable than the young Joe Burrow who's here for his first time? Or are we still going to see Joe cool, not care about the venue, not care about the moment and just make the plays. I think Stafford is honestly playing too well at the moment to expect him to implode. Like not necessarily yeah. like play a perfect game, but like he's going to be good enough for the Rams to potentially win this game. It's, it is the Super Bowl though, and people and players can say that it's just another game, but it's a two-week buildup. It's a bunch of attention, media, fanfare, all this different stuff, and then the actual game itself doesn't feel like just a, another game. And Stafford obviously has never played a, a game of this magnitude. And when it comes to experience, like I just thought about this today, the ratio of Joe Burrow's big moments to overall experience is significantly higher than Matthew Stafford's, which yeah, is, I yeah. think it's worth something like obviously Burrow is a youngin. He's only 25 years old. This is his second year in the NFL. He's played in a state championship high school and national championship in college. And he's about to play in a Super Bowl and he hasn't lost a must win game. And I don't know five years since the uh, state championship with Athens, Ohio. Yeah, I think that matters. I, I think that honestly does matter. Like he just has more experience in these moments and he doesn't really know 
any better in terms of the other side of it. And I think that ignorance honestly kind of plays into this. Stafford has obviously seen more in terms of just overall NFL experience and he's older and he's got that stuff. But in general, like this Bengals team, while it's relatively new in terms of the composition of it, a lot of the players came from successful franchises. They've had playoff experience, which I think has probably helped in terms of just stepping up in big moments. And then you look at the Rams, their team is just as different in terms of like a three-year window compared to the Bengals in a three-year window. That team that went to the Super Bowl in February 2019, it looks nothing like the Rams team that's going to the Super Bowl now. I think the mainstays are Whitworth and maybe a couple other offensive pieces. That whole defense has changed just like the whole Bengals defense has changed. It's just a lot of good players from other organizations that have found their way to these two teams playing in a stage that some of them have already played in before even if they haven't been on the Bengals and or Rams. So I think the experience whole thing is kind of washed out because Joe Burrow has experience on stages like this compared to his relative inexperience. I think I said this maybe a couple of episodes ago, but, you know, Stafford has been highly productive. He's won big games. I haven't watched a ton of Detroit Lions football, but I've, I've seen – you know, a good a good amount of Matt Stafford. And I adhere to the fourth quarter comebacks, game-winning drives, all that kind of stuff, wherein he is one of the best at doing it, active quarterbacks-wise, at doing it. Um, I have also seen, on occasion, Matt Stafford and this team allow big leads to evaporate. And I have also seen Matt Stafford, to your point, the turnover-worthy throws – get when, when things start it's almost it's almost like the the lions and that ptsd situation with with being a former lion and when things and we know this being being around the Bengals. when's that other shoe gonna drop it's almost like he's he has moved on from that but he kind of hasn't because there are some times where there's some panic throws there's some panic moments I saw a couple of those last week from from Burrow, but I, I I kind of attested that or not not last week, but against the Chiefs, I kind of chalked those up a little bit more to just kind of make trying to make things happen late in the game, as opposed to panic plays. But in a way, and this seems so weird to say for a second year guy who hasn't even played two full years of pro football, as opposed to a thirteen year guy who's been in the playoffs before. I, I just kind of trust Joe a little bit more in in crunch time situations and pan, possible panic situations to take care of the football or to make a big play than I do Matt Stafford. And I know that Stafford has done a pretty good job taking care of the football this postseason. But look, look at week, what was it, week 18, the last game of the year. They let a big lead evaporate to the 49ers. They almost did it again to the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. And then they they had to make a, a pretty decent comeback against the 49ers again this postseason. So I don't know, man. Those are just some of the thoughts that are rattling around in my brain. I think if you just deconstruct the logic of why Stafford is in Los Angeles in the first place, he's there because Jared Goff couldn't get it done. And Jared Goff couldn't make the throws that Matthew Stafford can. And, and that's obviously netted to great success because now they're in the Super Bowl again. And you don't feel like they're limited offensively where they were with Jared Goff against a Bill Belichick defense in that Super Bowl. But you can't make Matthew Stafford change. He's been in this league for 10 years. He is who he is. He's a strong arm quarterback 
that obviously is thriving in a good system, but he still has the same pitfalls as Matthew Stafford has always had. And I don't even think that Detroit is necessarily responsible for those pitfalls. Like he just is who he is. You can't expect him to change and you can't expect him to change against a good pass defense in the biggest stage of his career. He, that just is what it is. I think ultimately like there's the only way, or I should say that if the Rams don't completely like, limit the Bengals offense in this game like that that puts them in trouble because like you said there's going to be opportunities for the Bengals to come back in this game if Stafford has those mistakes that he's unfortunately prone to make so if this game is close and low scoring like that's not necessarily good for him because are you going to trust Matthew Stafford to make those plays when it counts compared to Burrow who to your point he's earned that trust because that's all we've seen from him he's he's shown us nothing to the contrary as to why he would shrink in some of these moments despite the opposition and the talent and the ferocity of that pass rush. And I guess that's where we can naturally progress this conversation because all season long, Joe Burrow and the Bengals offense have done nothing but overcome fighting, fighting tooth and nail against dominant pass rushes and defenses. Of course, in the biggest of stages, this is the most talented pass rush that they'll face. And we've talked hours and hours about Aaron Donald now, but in a similar way, man, well, like OBJ compared to Cooper Cup, I don't think we're talking enough about Von Miller going up against Isaiah Prince compared to Aaron Donald. Even Leonard Floyd going up against Jonah Williams. I think both of those guys have good matchups against their um, counterparts on offensive tackles, specifically Isaiah Prince, who's had struggles against speed around the edge. Von Miller is playing at a really high level. He's playing like the classic Von Miller that he's always been. They're going to have attention on Aaron Donald, but that's naturally going to lead to one-on-one opportunities with... Um, Von Miller and Leonard Floyd and that I think more than just Donald's disruption up the middle is why the Bengals have to get the ball out of Joe Burrow's hands quickly it's why they probably have to run the ball maybe on early downs more than they would like to like they did against the Chiefs and this time they got to hope that it just nets to better efficiency I've been saying this for, first of all how many times have you heard this week on the number of podcasts and radio appearances and everything how many times have you been asked about the nine sacks against the Tennessee Titans John couple times yeah uh, yeah just a few right I mean that's been brought up just a few times uh, and that's okay but I mean I, I kind of kindly remind people that there there were other games wherein that was not the case namely the last game that that they played but there were pressure issues in that game as well I, I've kind of been saying this though too a lot of attention and rightfully so is being placed on that interior of the offensive line. Trey Hopkins, whoever the right guard is, Quentin Spain. But I've said because of what you said, and and you know how the how the Bengals are going to undoubtedly double Aaron Donald as much as they can. Oddly enough, Jonah Williams is going to need to have the game of his life. Uh, yeah. He's 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 you know, and he's not the guy necessarily going up against Aaron Donald. He's got. Floyd Miller, however they they line things up there, but he's going to need if he's going to be isolated one on one, which is probably going to happen somewhat often, if not very often this this week. He's going to need to have the game of his life, and to your point, so will Prince. And I I still remember Von Miller on that right side a few years back when he was with the Broncos, and he just ate Bobby Hart's lunch on on the right side, and it's that speed. It's that ability to get past the big guy because he's not the the towering defensive end, but he is he is strong and he is quick, and his ability to get past some of the bigger offensive linemen is is just 
incredible. But to me, I, I it's it sounds weird when you say it out loud because there's so much focus on Aaron Donald. But I really think, in particular, Jonah Williams is going to need to have a, a an outstanding game for this for this to not be the issue that everybody is making it out to be. Because here's how it all works in unison. Because if you have two guys who specialize in speed rushing around the edge and Floyd and Miller, and you have a quarterback in Burrow who can sense pressures, even from his blind side, and he can step up in the pocket and he can avoid those pressures and he can extend plays, that's all fine and dandy. Most of those teams that have those speed rushers don't have an Aaron Donald coming up the middle yep. and finishing those things. So if when Burrow is stepping up in the pocket, he's got to face Aaron Donald, who's undoubtedly going to have a high win rate against whoever the right guard is. And that limit his ability to extend plays. And that's where you get to situations like the Titans and nine sacks happens. And also the Rams like to stun twist just as much as, as the Titans do. I don't know if it's going, going to lead to nine sacks. I don't know if that can happen twice in a single postseason. But Oh God, please. Yeah. no. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, the ball just has to, it has to come out quickly. Like there's, they have to be really smart about when they pick and choose their shot plays down the field. And the good news is I think the fact that the Rams have so many, so many single high looks, uh, their secondary and their coverages, it can lead to some pre-snap opportunities of when you can get Chase or Higgins down the field, and specifically with Higgins, like that is a matchup that not a lot of people were talking about. Darius Williams, the cornerback opposite of Jalen Ramsey, he was quietly like a really good player last year, like a borderline Pro Bowl guy, and he has completely fallen off a cliff. And he's still good enough, I guess, to start because they don't really have anyone else. But Higgins versus Williams, specifically because Williams is not the tallest of cornerbacks. That is a dire mismatch for the Rams secondary. And if Chase is going to be followed by Ramsey and those two are going to go back and forth. I know we got Joe Goodberry in the comment section saying that Chase is going to go off for 137 and a touchdown. I don't know about all that. Chase is definitely going to get his and Ramsey is going to get his. I think Higgins, though, on some of those in-breaking routes against a smaller cornerback and Williams, like those are those timing plays that the ball needs to get out, like some play action, little little, uh, 15 yard digs to um, T Higgins and he's kind of lived off of the, those routes. Mina Kimes brought up a great, a great point on ESPN NFL live. Tyler Boyd can eat over the field against this Rams defense because their linebackers rem- are reminiscent of the Bengals linebackers of the past and coverage. They are abysmal. The middle of the field is going to be vacant. And when they have those zone coverages, so it's all about utilizing play action at the right time, finding those looks against the Rams secondary when they can take those deep shots and getting the ball up at the top of Burrow's drop where the pressure is not doesn't have enough time to develop in front of him because the middle of the field is going to be wide open against this Rams defense. So I want to ask you this, and then we'll start we'll start closing up here. I, we'll try and reschedule David Fulcher. Uh, unfortunately, I think some family stuff continues to uh, take up some of his schedule. So hopefully we'll get him back on sometime this week. He is eager to come on. He We talked a bunch today, and um, so we'll, we'll try and get him on uh, in the near future here. But I want to talk about this because I, it's funny showing what Joe said in the chat about uh, Jamar Chase potentially going off. And then you've got, you know, uh, some of these, you know, the Higgins mismatch. I think Higgins will have a, a good game, but I, I look at some of the role players and I look at some of these guys that maybe not a lot of people are talking about for the Bengals as really, really crucial players. Maybe it's Uzama, even on a limited snap count. Maybe it's a guy like Drew Sample stepping up and, and working short routes and, and working across the middle, helping out chip blocking, et cetera. What about the running backs? Chris Evans helping out in the past game. What about Joe Mixon? Not Nobody seems to be talking about Joe Mixon, and the Bengals have utilized him, not necessarily to great statistical production, but they have used him before to the means of slowing down some of these great pass rushers, slowing down. We saw him do it to Max Crosby. 
in the in the playoff game, just you know, hit, hitting that run play his side. So do you see that that I mean, you're talking about quick hitters, you're talking about getting the ball out quickly, all of that. Do you see Mixon getting a, a large sum of touches carries in this game just to simply negate what the Rams are able to do up front? It honestly wouldn't surprise me. And that was what they were trying to do against the Chiefs. Like they had a ton of early down runs against that front. And it kind of worked here and there, but it wasn't tremendously successful. It kind of worked as the game kind of wore on and it bolstered the narrative that, oh, this guy just heats up as the game continues, even though there's no statistical backing of that. But it wouldn't surprise me if early in the game they just try to keep things simple and make sure that they're not inconsistently second and third in long situations. But Unfortunately, as good as the Rams are against the pass, they're equally good against the run, and they have the bodies and Greg Gaines and Ashawn Robinson and obviously Aaron Donald himself, all good run defenders. And you know Miller and Floyd can set the edge as good as the as good as most of them. So I, I think Mixon, I think if Mixon has a great game, the Bengals definitely win because that's probably too much for the Rams to stop if they're having to deal with Mixon gashing them, and then they can work play action off of that. It Mixon having a great game would be great, but. Um, even if they are going to try to feature him to slow down the pass rush, I don't think it's something that anyone can necessarily count on. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Well, I think I do think that to your point of the Bengals coaching staff, whether it's Lou Anarumo on defense, Zach Taylor, knowing his friend and mentor, Sean McVay, and going up against that photographic memory, it's going to take uh, it's going to it's going to take not only some things that maybe the Rams weren't expecting, but I, I know Tim McGee last night laughed off halftime adjustments and all that kind of stuff. But it is. I, I still believe that the, maybe maybe adjustments or wholesale adjustments throw out the game plan and now we're doing something different. I, I That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about let's adapt to what we've tried to do that hasn't worked and what they have shown us so far in the first quarter, the second quarter, not throw out the whole game plan, but a, adapt some things and maybe add in some players. That's why I think some of these role players, a Chris Evans, a Drew Sample, CJ Uzama, you mentioned Tyler Boyd, um, and then of course Higgins. I mean, everybody's going to be talking about Burrow and Chase, and rightfully so. But I think some of those guys may surprise some folks in what they're able to do this week. Right, and I think McGee alluded to like, it, yeah, like you said, it's not like completely throwing out the game plan. It's just saying, hey, and some of these routes, like the guy's not biting, you know, maybe adjust off of that and and go to your secondary options and stuff like that. And if Ramsey is, is showing something in coverage and that, that gives Burrow kind of a key in the pre-snap phase and then they go into halftime for an hour as Eminem and Dr. Dre uh, jam it up in halftime, they, they can work off of that. So, 
yeah, like the fact that maybe the Super Bowl is an hour or the halftime is like 30 minutes, 45 minutes long. I'm sure there's plenty of time to reflect on that. But that is interesting, though, because it, it, it is a Sean McVay type of trend as well as Kyle Shanahan to have some of these leads and to be susceptible to blowing them. And a lot of people get on Zach Taylor's back for being not so aggressive with the lead and not necessarily stepping on the throat, even though I don't think that's his philosophy. If one of these teams ends up in that situation, I think it's it's easy to see that the other team coming back in this game not being over until Evan McPherson trots out there for a game-winning kick. Well, John, dare I ask you, we've been talking about this for a while now, uh, dare I ask you your prediction on this game? Uh, are you going to employ the Tim McGee mindset in how you choose this game and why you choose it that way? I don't know, but uh, what, do, what are you thinking on this one? It's been contrasting forces, powers, I guess, of the Bengals traditionally being in these situations and not obviously fully trusting them, clashing with just the essence of Burrow and the fact that he's just undefeated in these situations and that nothing seems to matter, nothing seems to face him, and the fact that he has this this leadership and just this ability to change everything about Cincinnati and the Bengals in general. And I've been just kind of playing off of that in just my predictions lately. I don't know if anyone's caught on. I'm done. <laughs> I'm done picking against Joe Burrow. I'm not going to go up here and pick against them to lose in the Super Bowl, not only because of that, but because I do think that they have a really good chance to win this. I didn't think that they're going to beat Kansas City. I genuinely didn't think that they could beat the Chiefs twice in a row. And it was the first Chiefs win that really sold me that this team can compete and play against anyone and it was the second chiefs win that you know what i'll just say it i'm kind of leaving in destiny like we've seen this with the giants a couple times we saw we saw this with the ravens not necessarily the best teams to enter the playoffs that year but things just tend to click at the right time for some of these teams some things that we don't think are necessarily sustainable just need to be sustainable for four games in the Bengals' case it's them giving up oodles of pressures and sacks and still being able to overcome it, not necessarily being this explosive offensive team, getting all these turnovers on defense, and a rookie 20-year-old kicker being 12 for 12 in the postseason from field goals and having two game winners. A lot of things that you don't think can last an entire season. It doesn't need to last a 16-17 game season. It just needs to last one more game against the most talented roster in the NFL. I am done picking against Joe Burrow. I'm going to say the Bengals win. I'll say it's low scoring. I don't think the offense explodes like some people say. I think the under hits, I'm going to say 20 to 17 Bengals. 20 to 17 Bengals. Wow. You used the magic word for me, John, destiny. And I've been, I, I like you. I kind of, as, as the playoffs unfolded, I saw, okay, the Bengals are probably going to beat the Raiders. Tough game, but I think they're going to beat the Raiders. I did not think they were going to go into Tennessee and beat them. I did not think – I thought they could. I did not think they would, right? Same thing with the Chiefs again. My thought process is I've had a lot of people ask me, what do you think is going to happen this game? What are friends, family, what have you? My thought process is this. The Rams are very, very good. One of the top teams, one of the best teams, obviously, in the NFL if they made it this far. I just feel like – it was a tougher, and I may eat crow on this, but it feels like a tougher ask and a tougher task 
was the Bengals going into Tennessee and take and beating the one seed. The Bengals going into Arrowhead and beating the Chiefs twice in a month. Both venues. Patrick Mahomes. I, I, I don't – I think it's a very close second place maybe in terms of difficulty of the Rams matchup. I just see those being maybe a tiny bit more difficult. And the fact that the Bengals have won those matchups already and did so very recently – makes me believe that they can win this game. I think this is a coin flip game. I think it could go either way, similar to the point margin that you pointed out, three points. It's probably why the line is where, where it's at. I, I Again, though, you used the magic word for me, Destiny. It just feels like something special's happening this year. It feels like something very special is happening with the Bengals this year, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say it. I'm going to say 26-23. Bengals beat the Rams. Yep. That would get McPherson the record over Vinatieri. Yep. So, yeah, I hope that I hope that's the one over mine. Yep, yeah. Well, let's drop the mic and get out of here. We will work on getting David Fulcher back for a future episode. We've got more coming at you, though. Like I mentioned, a lot more interviews, press conference clips, and all kinds of different things to share with you. But John, let's drop the mic and get on out of here. We've got a big one this Sunday. <laughs> that's that's the understatement of the year so far. It is. Uh, I, I, I got nothing, man. Um, Brian in Iowa said this season that felt too long. It, it is the first 17 game season. And of course, the Bengals are now playing in their fourth playoff game. 21 Bengals pl- games this year. 24, if you include the preseason, everything that we talked about before the season, everything that we've talked about during this roller coaster of a season and everything that we've talked about in the playoffs. It has been a pleasure bringing everyone along with Anthony this coverage. And I guess... Uh, tomorrow, Thursday, is the NFL Honors, and I guess also the announcement for potential Hall of Fame bids. So we're pulling for Willie Anderson. If, yeah. if everything goes wrong this weekend, at least we could hopefully say that the Bengals added another Hall of Fame offensive tackle to Canton. So hoping the best for Willie and obviously the best for the guys who are going to play on day. Yeah, worthy, worthy, worthy. And we've got... Uh, one of the things I wanted to point out, a, a generous super chat from our buddy, the Orange Arrow, who's helped us out with some fantasy football episodes. Hopefully you enjoyed those for you fantasy football players and betters out there. Uh, thanks. Thanks, Orange Arrow. And uh, when you kick off your fantasy show again, I know you took a little hiatus from it. When you kick off your channel again, let us know. We'll be happy to promote that. Um, but thank you. And thank you for your support of this show and helping us out on a number of different things. Uh, I got an interesting text from my dad. And he said, this is from our friend who now lives in Tennessee, but came from Ohio. Um, She used to be neighbors with them. Uh, She says, I was at the dentist yesterday. I met a woman whose brother is the ultimate Bengals fan, Eugene, 60 years old now. They were born in a coal mining town, dirt poor. Eugene had macro degeneration and went blind as a child. He watched the Bengals even when he could only see through the, the outside of his eyes. After that, he watched and kept score in his head. Others described what was happening in the games. He grew up, got married, and went to every game that he could. His wife was then in charge of being his eyes at every game. Eugene managed to get through law school and is still practicing as one of the only blind lawyers in the tri-state area, which I believe is Ohio, Kentucky, and uh, that, that area there. Still, he never misses a game. He goes in person whenever he can. I think that the Bengals would like to know about Eugene. He knows all the players and still lives in Kentucky. 
uh, you know, and do you know anyone who can get in touch with the Bengals? Well, I, I don't know about that last part there, but pretty cool story. And John, one of the other things, there's a group on, on Facebook. I think it's uh, from Josh Isles. Uh, I think it's Hootay Nation. It's got like 130,000 members of that. There's been some people sharing some tough stories this week of Bengals fans, unfortunately, passing away just before the Super Bowl and all of that. But these are the types of things that I don't I don't mean to bring a somber note, but these are the types of things and the type of fans that have been clinging to this kind of game and 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 have been aching for the Bengals to not only get here, but win this, this game. And I know, you know, we have fun with this. We do, we do a lot of different things to cover the show, but there are a lot of other people out there with different stuff going on that are really excited about this game. And they find the respite of their, some of the things they have going on, they find respite in the Bengals. And I don't know, man, it's just, you feel a connection with some of these people, even involved in these groups and you hear stories. And when the Bengals make a game as high profile as this, it just, you hear a cool story like Eugene who's battled a lot of different things and still is just the mega bagel fan and does all kinds of different things. So I just wanted to share that. My, my dad sent that over my way and I thought that was, that was kind of a cool story. And um, you know, you just hear a lot about that this week. The Bengals, just any football team in general, when they're not playing well, you kind of just realize that, yeah, it's just a game. It's not that big of a deal. It's just football. But when you have moments and kind of times like this, when they're really successful and they really are exceeding expectations and, and whatnot, it becomes almost more than a game. And it's a way to kind of escape reality and kind of just come together with the community, I guess, in, in a very sappy way that I'm trying to put this. But, you know, it, it this kind of run has, I, I guess, opened a lot of people's eyes and has kind of really brought the city, just the Bengals fandom and, in general together we've heard a bunch of great stories and thankfully you know some very deserving folks have been granted tickets and, and yeah. funds to go to the super bowl as well so I, I it's it's moments like these where you just you can look back and say like yeah like that was an awesome time to be a part of and to be a part of the community and to hear everyone's stories and realize that yeah when when it does matter, it it does feel like more than a game. It, it's it's a way that really unites a lot of people, and and hopefully the, the team can give them one more experience where it can really be united. Yep, and this is uh, I think it's Tim uh, T Y I M uh, saying all your fire set off the smoke alarm, Anthony. Yes, there was a random smoke alarm that went off in my house. I don't know what that was about there, but at any rate. We're, we're going to get on out of here. It's been a great show. We'll try and get David Fulcher back on here in the very near future. I know we've been uh, coordinating back and forth. There's been a couple of things that have come up with him this week, and we'll, we'll try and get him back on. But we've got a lot more stuff coming for you on this show. I know Ace and Zim are cranking out quality material, as is Matt Minnick. And all of us at Cincy Jungle are bringing you all kinds of different things on the website, be it news opinions analysis what have you john i'll be seeing you more this week and looking forward to that with some of the stuff we've got coming but uh take care my man appreciate what you do i'll talk to you later man all right